0: Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 will be our text. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. I don't have a table. They took the table where I usually put my... What are we are creatures of habit, and we are all going to have to make adjustments. So I've heard, yeah, I only worship at 8 o'clock in the morning. I don't worship at 9 let, let, me, let me tell you, that's wrong, okay? One of the concerns was, um, are college kids going to get up at 9 o'clock as opposed to 10.30? Yes, if they set their alarm a little bit earlier, we expect to see you at 9 o'clock next Sunday. Um, just just be mindful of the fact that it is, it's really it's not about you, okay? It's about the Lord and worshiping Him, glorifying Him exalting the name of Jesus. I want to thank um, everyone who came out to help yesterday uh, with the move. We had prayed and hoped for a uh, 100 folks. There were well over a 100. It was organized chaos in every single way. But I want to thank each of you. I, I guard against naming names because inevitably, Um, We, I forget someone, but I I do want to especially acknowledge and thank uh, Jay and Michelle Merriman, who yesterday loaned me their pickup truck for me to move and and load books into. And I don't know, it was like, is this red, like lifted, muscly, and it had like this throaty sound to it. Uh, It had camouflaged seat covers and real tree Sunglasses that were hanging up here. There was even there was even beef jerky in the seat. It was like, for one day, I got to be cool in my entire life. It was like it was like the coolest thing. The problem is this: um, last night I parked the pickup truck in my driveway, and I am hoping I don't know. This was not. Uh, that they came and picked it up, because if not, I need to report a stolen truck immediately after this service, because it was not there this morning. I have no idea who came and took it. I'm hoping it, they took it, but I haven't heard anything, and they're not answering my phone calls. I don't know. Maybe if you see, <laughs> if you see somebody like, like trying to be cool in a big red truck, you might want to let me know about that. Oh, just chaos. My life is just chaos. One, yeah, it was cool for one day, and that's where it's over. We, we want to pause today, and this is, a really, this is a really special day. And what we want to do, I want to do first and foremost, is just thank the Lord for his faithfulness. We just sang about his goodness. He has been so faithful to the body here at Big Woods, specifically, and really in, in, a, in a miraculous way, many years ago, providing for us this particular building. Uh, some people don't know, Bigwoods was actually established in 1984 as a result of college campus ministry. And so they began to meet at Lock Haven University. And then they moved to the YMCA and then church basements, just wherever they could find a home. There was one particular summer that there was not a place to meet. So they literally just met um, at, at parks in the area and around picnic tables and at, at playgrounds. But um, on January the 31st, uh, 1996, that's 22 years ago, the Lord, um, in, a, in a gracious gift, provided this building, the former Castania Elementary School, to be purchased. Um, Bigwoods used half of what they had saved in their. Uh, building fund, and they paid cash ten thousand seven hundred and seventy seven dollars is what we paid for this building. There was one other bid that we just barely beat out. It was for one dollar so we we did win the bid on that certainly, certainly not a, a fancy building by any means, but with over twenty two thousand square feet, it was finally big enough for people to gather all together to meet to worship, to sing, to listen to the word being preached, uh, to learn and grow together. And most importantly, just a place to call home, place to call home. The first church services actually were um, facing Brown Street. So the stage was actually over here. People met in a semicircle facing Brown Street. And, And over the years, Um, It has served, this building has served this body well. Um, It is now the image that came to mind, it's like a well. Worn, kind of a battle-hardened ship that is sailing into uh, the dry dock for the very, very last time, the final time. This church building has been painted and it has been repainted. It has been um, refurbished and there are areas that have been re-refurbished, if that's a word, re-renovated. Families helped volunteer to clean the building until Helen Barrett came along and took very, very good care of this building for us. The deacons as well have done an absolutely amazing job in keeping this building up, although it has been hard and it has been costly over the years. Many, many, many people have celebrated joyous occasions at weddings that have been here at this church. Many people have wept at funerals here at this church, babies, have been dedicated missionaries have been commissioned new members have been extended the right hand of fellowship pastor Aaron was ordained here there have been many Easter mornings and many Christmas Eve services there's been concerts and there's been plays and recitals and VBS gatherings and meeting after meeting and on many many occasions Breakfast has been served here, lunch has been served here, and dinner has been served here. Thousands, literally 1,000, approximately 1,144 Sundays we have been here. Thousands of messages have been preached and tens of thousands of worship songs have been sung, most of them led by our very own Matt Trumbull. Thank you, Matt, for that. There have also been many people who have responded to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and their lives have been transformed, not because of this building, but a place to hear the word that has been preached. Lives have been changed. What's interesting, although many people have gotten saved here, very, very few people have ever been baptized in this building. I do recall one time, Johnny Wadsworth, we brought in a temporary baptismal tank. A lot of work. That's why we continue to go to the river, but no longer as we will have our own baptistry. Um, There's also been, in all honesty, a lot of broken and burst pipes over the years, leaky roofs and drafty windows and very, very high heating costs but it has been home and it has served us well. And most importantly, we see God's faithfulness and God's goodness to us and be assured that the church, the ecclesia, those called out for a purpose will continue to be blessed in amazing ways in the days to come by a good and a faithful God. So I just want to pause and just wanted to give our attention to the Lord for his provision and blessing for this wonderful building. We also, together as a church, need to pray very specifically that God would direct the right buyer soon to purchase this building. Hopefully, it will be at a bid higher than $1, is our prayer. Before we get into the word, would you just bow your heads and pray with me as we thank the Lord and ask for his help as we learn together. Father, we're just... We're just so grateful for who you are and for your goodness to us, your faithfulness over the years. And Lord, as we gather together on this day, a special day in the history of Big Woods, my Lord, every day, your mercies are new. Your grace is amazing. Your love is unconditional. And we thank you that this is the day the Lord have made that you've made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We know, we know things will be different. We know that there's a sense of sadness and understandably so. Father, there's also an anticipation and excitement because you have called us to do a great work in a very needy community. Thank you for Lock Haven. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the many people that you are bringing to us and that you are allowing us to go to to share with them the good news of Jesus. Lord, help us just remain focused on the vision and the mission you've called us to. Help us to be faithful as you have been faithful. And now, Lord, as we look into your word for a few moments, I would ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, um, encourage, comfort, uh, strengthen, teach us and lead us. Open our eyes to um, see you. Open our ears to hear a word from you. We are your children We thank you, Lord, for um, your your love as our heavenly Father and for the offering and sacrifice of your Son on our behalf. Uh, God, may this be a profitable time that you are glorified. Please give me the help that I am in constant need of. Uh, Give clarity of thought and mind and speech. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Before we start a new series, over the next couple months, we'll be studying the book of Philippians. We're just concluding today on this little mini-series. Um, we talk about the fact that faith faith moves, faith gives, and faith loves. What, what is this idea of faith? We looked at the definition uh, of faith. It is having complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I, just, I love the fact that we know specifically that someone that our faith is in. God, creator sustainer, redeemer, sovereign Lord over everything, that we know and have confidence in faith in that someone. We also know what we can have faith in, that something is what? Is this word. We can have complete confidence and faith in this, inerrant and infallible, without error, perfect and powerful, piercing our hearts every single week. We can have faith in that. We know, Lord, we, we know as well that the Israelites the last uh, a couple weeks ago taught us about this idea of what faith looks like when they crossed the flooded Jordan River into what the promised land, but it was a, a land that was just just buzzing, a, a, a hornet's nest, a bee's nest of enemies. But they were obedient to the word of the Lord and they moved. Faith moves. It calls us to action. Last week, we looked at the Macedonians taught us what? They sacrificially They didn't have a whole lot. Even in their poverty, they sacrificially supported the work of the gospel. Even with very little, they gave it willingly and cheerfully. We talk about the fact that faith doesn't just move, but it gives as well. Today, we're going to look at from the word of Jesus himself that faith loves. Well, what do we mean by that? Direct your attention. Follow along as I read just two verses in our text. Uh, John chapter 13, we pick it up in verse 34. We'll read verse 34 and verse 35. A new, it's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love. one another. As I prepare and and write a message each week, my prayer is that um, you would literally just just immerse, that we together would immerse ourselves in this text, particularly because it's the words of Jesus. Um, I love how one pastor says it. He says, let the mind of Jesus saturate your mind. Let the mind of Jesus as he's speaking here saturate, soak your mind. Why? Because there's something that's needed today. There's something that's needed right now, and that's change. When we allow our minds to be saturated with the mind of Jesus, we know that it's true that God changes us. There's testimonies of transformed lives all over the place that he actually what? the spirit of God speaks through the word of God to to remake us, to change us for the glory of God. And it is an absolute miracle that I've witnessed or else I would not have dedicated my entire life to be the preacher, to be a preacher of this word. So we know that it's true. These, These words before us, as our minds are saturated with the words of Jesus, spoken to us in, in, in the setting as Jesus is in the midst of a ministry that a lot of people did not believe. His, his message was not understood by many people. The reason is that Jesus spoke in absolutely radical ways, in, in radical terms. As the promised Messiah, they expected what? They expected a conquering and a kingly language. They, they wanted to hear words like might and strength and power about overthrowing their oppressors. And instead, Jesus comes on the scene and he speaks about another kingdom, a, a kingdom that's going to last forever and ever, a kingdom that cannot be what built with hands. And he uses terms very different than what everyone, he uses terms like meekness and gentleness, and forgiveness, and uses words like grace and mercy. And he uses this words over and over and over. He uses this words love. In the gospel of John, you can't read very far in the gospel of John without bumping into the idea or the importance of love. You see, everyone, even today, everyone understands what is referred to as the great commandment, especially in Jesus' day. They understood the great commandment, Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the word you got with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everyone got that. And then Jesus, in radical terms, says, I have what? I have a second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Totally radical, totally, like, no, okay, we got the God part, we love God, but it's these people that are around us. And Jesus says, I have a second commandment. This particular context is referred to as the new commandment. I have a new commandment. I want you to love one another. So what is this? Jesus teaches us three things. The first one is this, how are we to love? Like, how do we do this? How are we to love? Jesus gives to us an example. He says, love specifically as I have loved you. So we're called, matter of fact, that phrase is repeated one another three times in these two verses, one another, one another, love one another. How do we do that? Love as I have loved you. Well, how did Christ love us? How like really, what does this look like? There's a couple ideas. There's, there's, There's several characteristics of God's love that comes to mind. And and kind of the one that in in my, it it kind of like bubbled to the surface is the word steadfast. if If I were to comprehend, if I were to concentrate for a moment on this idea of love what as I have loved you, I think of the word steadfastness. To be steadfast is literally defined as what? To be steady, to be unwavering, To be constant, so different than what we hear today in our world. We hear this phrase all the time in our society. I fell out of love with him. I fell out of love with. We we loved at one point, but apparently someone did something. That person said something that then caused me to fall out of. I kind of think of the idea of like an old sneaker. You know, how you pry a pair, like you 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 look for, you you pick out, you purchase. I want this new sneaker, but after a while it kind of wears out, it gets a little flat, gets a little dirty, and then the next new model comes out, and you take the old one, like you know what? I used to love this, let's toss it, and I'm gonna get a new one. Let, let me tell you this: with steadfast love, it means this: there is not A circumstance, any circumstance. There is no situation or there is no sin that will ever cause God to say, I fell out of love with you. I I used to love you, but I don't love you any longer. Think about that. There's not any circumstance. There's no situation. There's no sin that you can ever commit it will cause God to say, I have fallen out of love for you. I, I appreciate how the apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8 in verse 35. Who, who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Question mark. So who's out there? Paul is, shall, shall uh, tribulation, trouble? or distress or persecution or or famine or, or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, in a sense, we live in a world of trouble. He continues on, no, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I love that little short word. I am sure I am certain that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. I am sure there is nothing in all of creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our. Christ is saying, I want you to love, but I want you to love in a steadfast way. And God models that for us. You go back through the Old Testament, listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter seven verse nine. Know, therefore, I want you to know this, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. The psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 86, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 136, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. There's something about this word steadfastness that bubbles to the surface, the top. When we think about God's love for us and the way that we are to be loving others. Several descriptions through the Old Testament. I don't know if there's anyone better that describes the knowledge of God's steadfast love and what that means to us than the prophet Zephaniah. It seems like for some reason, we're not quoting Zephaniah a lot, but listen to this great verse. Zephaniah chapter three in verse 17. The Lord, your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will Say, he will rejoice over you with gladness. Listen to this. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And it was that one phrase. I think it was Tuesday night this week, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. I was reading this. And, and it's been, it been, can we say, it's been just a little bit busy, a little bit hectic. A lot of, lot of motion, a lot of commotion. And it was this one phrase, he will quiet you by his love. I think of you this morning. I, I know many of the stories, many of the testimonies, many of the struggles. And there's just just an angst, just a, 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 a churning inside. Doctors report yeah it 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 wasn't what you expect it doesn't really look good some of you just recently yeah the whole marriage thing like yeah i didn't plan it to look like this and this whole marriage thing like this is really not this is not easy this is not this is not smooth just just relationships within the body like man i'm really like i didn't realize i really don't like that guy and and yet all of all of that churning listen to this he will quiet you by his love. And, and remember as well that this is the example. I want you to love others as I have loved you. But do you realize that you, coming alongside of someone else, perhaps in the midst of the storms of life, you coming alongside you, loving them as Christ loves us, can quiet 2 Corinthians says what, we receive comfort from the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, so we can be a comfort to others. Just, there's several things that kind of come to the surface, but I think if we were to say, love as I have loved, that it's a steadfast love. No situation, no circumstance, no sin that will ever separate. But there's more to this. It, it also, what, we know that we are to love like Christ. How did he love us? He loved us not just with a steadfast love. He loved us with a sacrificial love. Thankfully, we've been given an example of what sacrificial love looks like when Christ demonstrated this for us. John chapter 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the extent of the love that we are to have towards one another. Christ says, love as I have loved you. He laid it down. And now what what is interesting, and I think it's on an area that we really struggle with as a church. And it's particularly in the context of our marriages where where God specifically gives Paul the the words in in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, husbands, I want you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Well, how much did Christ love the church? Enough to apparently die to sacrifice. Talk about this all the time that men, husbands. I don't doubt, I don't doubt one minute the fact that if someone came into your house at night and pointed a gun at your wife that you would, you would step in front of her and you'd take a bullet for her in a second. You'd sacrifice yourself. The problem is this. When you're watching a movie together, you're not going to let her hold the remote. Isn't that interesting? I'll die for her in heartbeat, but no, 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 you don't know how to handle the volume button like I can. It's a woman thing. It's just up and down and, and just... And, and wait a minute. If we are willing to sacrifice, like lay ourselves down, that's like in every single area. On my coffee table, on our coffee table at home, I have a book signed... Um, by the author Robertson McQuilkin. Robertson McQuilkin was the uh, president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary, now Columbia International University. Um, Under his tenure, under his leadership as presidency, uh, Columbia literally doubled, almost tripled in size. In 1990, he was on a speaking circuit internationally. He had written several books, and he was at the absolute pinnacle of his career. And his wife, at that point of 40 years, his wife Muriel, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And it affected her immediately. It affected her very, very quickly that, that when, when he was with his wife Muriel, she was calm and she was at peace and, and there was joy, very evident. And whenever he left her, she would go into, as a result of the disease, as a result, she would go into just, just, just fits of anger and she would be terrified in fear and as the president of a college he he stepped to the mic and he said I have to but I want to resign be care for her and he literally he, he was he was by her side for the next 13 years. This was 1990. She didn't die until 2003. And he said this in his resignation speech. He said, it's it's not that I have to, but that I get to. That's a love. That's, That's a willingness to lay everything down. Career's going amazing. No, you commit it in sickness and in health until death do us part. That's that's the willingness that we are to offer ourselves. Jesus was willing, and he proves it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, And walk in love as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. There's that word, a sacrifice to God. It is is amazing love. Be be assured that you can trust that, that you can have faith. Your life is lived differently because you have faith in that kind of love. You know, there's some overriding principles. I think it's very, very interesting that are very familiar from last Sunday. Remember last Sunday? You're like, no, I don't. But let, let me remind you talk about faith gives we talk about the fact that we are to give what we give not so that we will get we give why because we have been given much same principle applies right here faith loves what we we are to love not so that we will be loved back we love simply because we have been loved so much and we look at it, we're to live like that. When we have faith in God, first and foremost, to know that he loved us enough in a steadfast way, in a sacrificial way to offer his own son? i tell you what, we, we can and we should be motivated to love others, to love as I have loved you. That's how we are to love. Number two, who uh, are we to love? Now, this is stuff It says, well, this is who you're supposed to love. I want you to love one another. Well, I don't know about you, but that's like a lot, like one another. That's, is that everyone? Now, there's an order here where we understand first and foremost what, what is the great commandment we know at the top of our love we are to love God first and foremost. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matter of fact, you can't love anyone else. You can't love the one and others unless there is a secure, locked love in your heart towards God. So I, no, but it helps me understand it. There's an order. Love God first. Secondly, okay, who's the one and others? Let me make it very, very clear. Your spouse. Husbands are to love your wife. Wife, you have to love your husband more than any other human. Yeah, but my kid is really cute, and she's not always that cute. No, 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 there's an order here. Okay, look what it says. It says, what, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's that's how a husband needs to be loved by, by being shown respect. What does that look like? Emerson Egrett wrote a great little book called "Love and Respect." He talks about the cycle that husbands aren't going to love unless they're respected, and wives aren't going to respect unless they're loved. And, and so he talks about a couple of little ideas very quickly. This is how, this is how we do this. And why do we pause in this because this is such an important area, and this is where our society is just falling off the cliff. I fell out of love with them. No, no. Egret says this. He says, "Look for opportunities." to show your husband or your wife honor and build them up. Look for an opportunity. It doesn't matter. Okay, wives, we don't need a whole lot by way of, wow, that's amazing. It's unbelievable. When you take the garbage out every single Wednesday night, you do it like there's no, like, there's no trail of like, drippy stuff. You know, like you do it well. And it's like, <gasps> pow. It, it doesn't just look for an opportunity. Look for something. Number two, accept the fact that you have married an imperfect person, okay? You gotta come to that realization. I know the wedding was wonderful. The honeymoon was just ecstatic. And then you come home and you're like, who is that? That's the one that you're committed to for the rest of your life, for better, for worse, richer, poorer, sickness, health, till death, separate. Which means you have to come to a realization. Your wife is gonna do things. They're gonna irritate you and you're gonna do things that you're, why? Because we're not perfect. Third, focus on what your spouse does well and be assured there are many things. If you're looking for the negative, if you're looking for the critical, it'll always be there, but find something, there's something. You part your hair so well. Look for something to encourage them, to love them, to respect them. Fourthly, what? Speak well of your spouse. And let me me make it very clear. This is not just like to your spouse. This is what in public. Speak well. Speak sincerely. Man, I love when she does that. Isn't she amazing? that's, That's speaking. That's building up. That's a way that we what? After our love for the Lord, first and foremost, it is to be love for our spouse. Number two, third, and remember, we don't confuse the order here. Third is to love your children and your grandchildren, not before or ahead of your spouse. There's an order here. Why? There's a lot of like, like there's a lot of everyone's. How do we create a sense of order? We listen to this. So how do we love our children? We give them whatever they want, whenever they want it. Love you. Here, stay up as long as you want and just eat more cotton candy. No, no, I'm sorry. That's not how you love your children or your grandchildren. You know, God's word actually teaches us, you know, the the, the greatest way, the best way that you can love your children. It says this in Proverbs chapter 13, he who withholds his rod hates his son but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The number one way, hear me on this, the number one way that you can show love to your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter is to teach them how to live right, which means you correct them. It is amazing what you do, but let me tell you the way that God's word tells you the way you should be doing it. Or else what? celebrate the fact that they have... I heard just this week, I can't share, I just heard this week, just this week of a young gal, a young teenager who was tested in a really difficult way and she passed the test with shining colors. And I told her mom and dad, I said, you better celebrate that. that. That's what we need to do. We have to also steer them into righteous, into right living Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs chapter 22. Spiritual principle, not promise. But we live with that. We live with that principle. Fathers, Ephesians chapter 6. Do not provoke your children, a son, your daughter, to anger. But don't exasperate them. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I had someone come to me recently, right up here after a service. A grandmother and, and, and she was asking me, how, how old, Pastor, do you think um, my granddaughter should be before I start bringing her to church? And I'm like, well, how, how old is she now? And, and she said, well, she's, she's almost nine months. I said, she's ready right now. You bring her. Every single week, you bring her. In, in the first service, we had a grandmother who brought their granddaughter to church That is teaching them in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord. So many things. Like, what do we do here? Let's go to God's word. That's the way that we teach our children. That's the way that we love them. Love God first or spell second, our children third. Number four, you love your brothers and sisters. And remember the order. That means what? One another. We give attention to, to the body of Christ. Someone is in need, wonderful. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you sacrifice your marriage. It doesn't mean that you sacrifice your, 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 your children. But we have to show our love for those that are part of the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Love the brotherhood. After what we love one another here in this body, we are to love your neighbor. That's when we begin to break outside the body into the community. And it actually teaches us what? Matthew 22, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 10. This is what? This is the second commandment. You love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting that God knows how much we do love ourselves. And we're to learn to love others that way. Then last, this is the radical language that Jesus taught. But last, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not only was that foreign, radical, crazy language in Jesus' day, it is absolutely crazy today. When was the last time you prayed for one who, what, has you in the crosshairs? When was the last time you prayed for the terrorist has been blinded because he's been raised since a child. What? You strap this on yourself and you walk into a crowd of people. When's the last time you prayed for people that are blinded that way? But, but we're, we're instructed to love our enemies. My conclusion to like love everyone, this is what I wrote. That is a lot. Like that's, that's a lot. And, and then after, wrote, I, after that I wrote this, that is hard. Not only is that like a lot to, to love, that is hard. And then in my notes I have this, that is hard, that is impossible. Like I can't do that. I can't, I can't love the Lord my God with all of my heart. I can't love my, my wife. I can't love others. I can't love and pray for my enemies. I can't do any. It's impossible apart from having faith in a steadfast and the sacrificial love that God has demonstrated to us. I cannot. There's nothing in, there's not a lot of love in my flesh. But when the spirit fills and overflows and it pours out, man, you guys are like kind of cool. And I learned to love. You learn to love. Apart from having faith in a very big God, that type of love is a lot. It's hard and it's impossible. Thirdly and finally, why are we to love? Very simply, this isn't like there's not a lot here. It says what? There's a new commandment that I give to you. Why are we to love? Here's the reason that we're to love, because it's a command. The word literally is defined as what? A rule that must be obeyed. Yeah, but we don't like rules today. It doesn't matter. Take a number and stand at the end of that really long line right there. Okay? Okay. It is a why do we do this? Because we are commanded. This is not what this is not an option. This is an imperative. So take it up with the Lord, okay? You are commanded. This is a commandment that He Himself is giving to you. So why, why do we do this? Because we're commanded, and why? Because it's our identity. Literally, what people will know if you belong to me by your love for one another. You know, that's something that sadly that the church, the church general, I, I, think, I think sadly we've, even in our own community, we've had a failing grade in decades because churches have squabbled, churches have split. If you, can't, if you guys can't get along with one, if you can't love one another here, how are you gonna love others out there? People will know who we belong to and who we're following by our love for one another. So, so we understand why we do this is pretty clear. You're commanded and it identifies who we are. It, re- it really can't be described any better. It can't be described any more clear than what John. Remember, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says it like this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. We love because he first loved us. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? And now we focus on the very reason. You know, what's interesting is that um, Big Woods traditionally has always set the third Sunday aside each month. Kind of weird, to tell you the truth. When I got, I'm like, why? Everyone else does the first. But when you guys got here, you also are facing the wrong direction too. I don't understand that. But anyway, last week we were supposed to serve communion. And, and I asked, let's, let's, let's just pause. And let's just, the very last thing that we do in this building together, the very last thing we do is we focus on what God has done for us he has demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died. You and I know that we have to hear things over and over and over and over again in order to be reminded of it and we also what we we recall things easier we remember things when we see them when we touch them when we smell them when we taste something we remember something more. Christ knew that. That's why in the upper room that night, the night that he was, what, betrayed, arrested, tried, crucified the next day, he gathered his disciples and it says that he took bread, unleavened bread like this, and he broke it in front of them. He broke it and he said what? That just as this is broken, this is what my body, I'm gonna gonna allow my body to be broken for you. I'm going to suffer for your sin so that you don't have to. And then he passed it around they ate it. He said, I want you to eat this. It's just bread. It's not his body, but it's a picture of it. Eat the body of Jesus. Why? So that as we taste it, as we smell it, we don't ever forget the love that God demonstrated to us. By offering his own body. And what he also took, it says, the fruit of the vine. He poured it out. He probably poured it into a large. It was probably more of a a piece of pottery, a goblet. And they just passed it around for everyone. We're not going to do that. We're going to let you all have your own little sip, okay? But they probably just all drank out of the same cup. Drinking after Peter, bad breath and all. But what? it 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 was the picture of it. As Christ poured out what? The, the wine. He said, my blood's gonna be poured out. He's teaching what? That without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. There can be no forgiveness. Apart from the message of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, offering his body and allowing his blood to be poured out, there would be no reason for us to meet. And we might as well leave this building and lock the doors and never meet again. But thankfully, we have the hope, the sacrifice of Jesus, proving his steadfast love for us that whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever sin, Christ loves and Christ forgives. And so we have a reminder this morning. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite the elders to come. They're going to serve this to you. And I just want you to be reminded that if you are here and you're visiting for the first time and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've acknowledged what? That Christ is not just a way of many to heaven. He is the way, the truth in life. No one comes in the Father but by me, Jesus said. If you've acknowledged that, then please take this and receive this and be encouraged and reminded about Jesus' as sacrificial and steadfast love. But if you are here this morning and you have not made that decision, you have not come to that conclusion, you're not a believer, I think Jesus is a good guy, but he's not. And I would ask you very respectfully, I don't want to be rude. Please don't take this. When it comes by, don't take it. You're not to drink unworthily. But I would also encourage you that today, it says what is the day of salvation, that today if you recognize that what you are a sinner and that someone had to pay for your sin in order for you to be in relationship with the Holy God. And you know that someone is Jesus and you have trust and faith in Jesus. Then take this, take this for the very first time and celebrate salvation that Jesus offers. Uh, Gentlemen, come, uh, elders come and and they'll serve this to you just so that you know, they'll serve you the, the bread first and then we're gonna ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup and then they'll serve you the cup And then we will sing a hymn, and we will be on our way. May we, in this moment of quietness, as we prepare our hearts, just focus on the steadfast love of God. bow our heads. Father, as we just meditate this morning on um, on your love, that there's no, there's no situation, there's no circumstance, there's no sin that will ever, ever, could ever separate us. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the the proving of your love by the offering of your own son, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for this morning that we are given a visible reminder of what Jesus did for us. We thank you for this bread that is a picture of the body of Christ, and we thank you for this cup that is a picture of the blood of Christ. And Lord, now as we take this, I would ask, Lord, that we would have a renewed and a a fresh reminder of who you are, What you have done for us. And Lord, the, the love that has been modeled, may we show that same love to others so that others will come to know of the joy of your incredible, matchless, and amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for this body of believers. Thank you, Lord, even for the place that we've been able to meet. And we ask blessings, Lord, upon this body as we continue to grow. In you that whatever we do, may we always do it for your glory. Bless this now, bless us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ in the very night on which he was betrayed, he, he took bread and after he had given thanks as, as we just did, he broke it and he said this: "This is my body." which is for you, do this, eat this in remembrance of me. Thank you. It says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and may he give you peace. that's going to lead us. Stand with me as we close. Great is Thy face.